It's good to be here with you guys. I'm so happy that you guys are here with us. I mean, like, the room is full, and, like, uh, you think about the last couple of years, and you're like, man, it's been a while since, since we've seen a lot of people together, and it's awesome to see you guys. Hey, do me, do me a favor. Why don't you open up your Bibles? Here at the chapel, we read God's Word. We study God's Word. We believe in the power of God's Word. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. You can turn to page 942. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. That Bible could be yours. If you want it, you can keep it. Um, and we'll read God's word in a minute. Um, the title of today's sermon, the sermonette, I'm about to preach maybe 20, 25 minutes, maybe an hour, I don't know. If, if you're a member here, if you come here, you know how we roll. It may be an hour, two hours, we're okay, it's fine. Um, we'll get food catered or something. Um, um, I just wanna talk about new life. Um, that, that's the message of this morning, new life, and new life is available to you if you, if you wanted. And um, recently, as I was thinking about this sermon about new life, I recently went to the NFL Hall of Fame. How many of you have been there uh, before? Raise your hand. Okay. Um, amen. Okay. So, someone likes to have church over there. Um, I, wanted to do, I wanted to do two things. There were two sections that I wanted to see. It was, the first section was awesome. It's a small section. It's the history of the rings, right? It, it shows you every, every Super Bowl championship ring. And it's kind of weird because like when they, when you starts off like, the, the, the ring looks like a high school ring or something like that. Like, it's this small. By the time we get to last year's Super Bowl championship ring, the thing's like this big. I'm not, you think I'm joking? Like, and I was reading it, and it was like something like, you can twist the top off, and inside there's an insignia of the team, and it's like 55 carats of gold and 175 carat diamond. I'm being dramatic, but um, that's, that's what it was, and, and I wanted to see that. The other thing I wanted to see was the, the Hall of Fame. I wanted, I wanted to see two people. There were two people I wanted to see. It was Michael Strahan and Peyton Manning. Uh, don't give me that look. Um, <laughs> I'm a Giants fan, I'm from New York, I'm from the Bronx, um, I'm, a, I'm a Giants fan. I want to see Michael Strahan. Uh, go Yankees, by the way, um, baseball season's here. Don't, don't, it is Easter, don't you sass me. You don't sass the preacher, the preacher sasses you. That's the way this works. So I walk in and there's like all this, there's like a, a hallway or like a rotunda Oh wait, now that I think about it, it's like a shaped in a football. Um, it's round. So you walk around, yeah, I just thought about that now. You walk around, I was like, oh, this is a rotunda. No, it's a football. Um, you walk around and, and you see all these bus. Um, I don't know why they call it a bus. Um, high schoolers use a word called bussin. Um, that's a term. But, but I don't know why we call it that, but it's a bus. You know, it's all the heads of every uh, member of the Hall of Fame. So I'm looking, I find Michael Strahan, and then I find Peyton Manning, and I'm like, oh, Peyton Manning, like, this is awesome. That's his face. It's bronze, but that's his face. And then you look in the eyes, and you're like, 
He was kind of looking back at me. And then I thought to myself in that moment, I mean, like, all these guys in this Hall of Fame, like, rightfully belong there, right? Like, they've accomplished amazing things in life. But then I thought to myself, like, those accomplishments, those good things that they did, they weren't for me, right? Like, when you think about your, your favorite um, baseball player or basketball player, Michael Jordan, when you think of, when you think of the greatest uh, golf player, right? Like, their hard work, their valiant effort to be the best in sports. Like, when you think about that, like, they did it for themselves. They didn't do it for you, right? The practices, the hard work, the, the, the physical training, the playoffs, the Super Bowl, the championships, the tournaments, right? Like, it wasn't for you. It was for them. And I thought to myself in that moment, I was like, this is good. It's okay. And the moment was gone. It was over. Why? Because their accomplishments, all the good things they've done in life, rightfully so, belong in that Hall of Fame, but it doesn't spiritually affect me. It had no impact in my life. Like, I wasn't impressed with it because it meant something to me. I was impressed because it meant something for them. And then I started to think about this idea of new life. Like, we all believe in, in this earthly life. We, we see each other right now, but, but do we believe in a spiritual life? Right? Like, do you believe that there's something more beyond than this life? And I'm not just talking about, like, the life, the breath that we have in our lungs. I'm talking about, like, the value and worth and the purpose of life. Like, do you have purpose and meaning in life? Do you, do you find value in life? And not just in the, your accomplishments, not just because you're a good person and not just because you've done good things, but like you find value and purpose in life, not because of you, but because of the one who gave it to you. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about this new life this new life that Jesus gives us. I was impressed by all the members of the Hall of Fame, but most importantly, who I'm impressed with is Jesus Christ. Because his blood, his life was sacrificed for me, for you. That's more impressive to me. Not someone who's made a good career out of themselves. Because when this earth passes away, when generations come by, they'll be forgotten. New people will be remembered for the same things they've accomplished. But Jesus, the new life we get from him, we've been celebrating it for 2,000 years. Guess what? If you're a believer, when we see him face to face, there will be billions and billions and billions of years in which we will celebrate that. This new life that I want to tell you about can start today, can start right now. So the question is, where does this new life begin? Like, how do we begin this new life? 
This new life begins in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Look at, the, look at it with me there. If you can't, you'll see it on the screen. This is Paul who's writing this. He's an apostle. And this is what he says about this new life. Look at verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you'd like to highlight, if you'd like to take notes, we take notes here in church, um, underline that, that, that phrase, walk in newness of life. That's our focal point for today. Verse five, last verse. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So, so when does this new life begin? Paul tells us this life begins when we die with Christ. What does that mean? It means that on Good Friday, when we're reminded of the crucifixion, we're reminded of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We're reminded that he was innocent and found guilty. That his blood was shed for you and me. And this wasn't just like the electric chair or like an injection. This was a brutal torture of death where his life was hanging on the balance and he suffocated and died. This is the new life that Paul is calling us to. That we would die with Christ? Think about the picture in the image. It's Good Friday. Mary Magdalene is there. The apostles have scattered. They're running away. They're afraid. They don't want to be associated with this guy. He was innocent. And they're looking at him crucified trying to gasp for air, trying to lift his body up on a cross. And you know what he says? He says, it is finished. He doesn't curse anybody out. He has nothing bad to say about the people who put him there. He's not angry or upset about the disciples who betrayed him. He says, it is finished. What's finished? His mission was accomplished. Think about that. That before the foundations of the world, before you were a thought, God had a plan. And the plan was that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a servant to die on the cross. That his wrath would be poured on his son. He would kill his son so that you and I can have this new life. New life begins when we die to ourselves. New life begins when we're willing to say, I'm going to lay aside my past. I'm not who I am. I'm not the old person you knew. I remember the day that I got saved. Let me tell you something. If you think I'm ornery now, you just have to... Ask my parents. I mean, I was bad. Like, I lived for myself. And you know what the crazy part was? Is that I grew up in church. I knew all the verses. I dressed up really nice. I said the right things. 
but I was living for myself. I thought that if I was a good person, if I was good enough, somehow, some way, God would accept me for my good things. The crazy part is that, that we serve a good God who saved us in spite of our goodness. Think about that. That oftentimes, many people believe that, that, that they're saved because of their good works. Look at the world. Look at the society that we live in. I mean, are you truly content with, with life right now? Like, think about the world happening, looking about the war in Ukraine. Like, is this the best that we have to offer ourselves? Or is this something better? We have to be willing to die. We have to be willing to lay down our pride, our selfishness. Many of us live for ourselves, our family, money, success, and comfort. And God is calling us, you want this new life? Come die. Come die like I did. And Paul gives an illustration of what this looks like. Paul shows us that the way you died is like when someone is being baptized. You'll see this in a couple of moments, we have a couple of people being baptized. Baptism here is, a, is symbolic for us. It's merely an outward expression of an inward faith, right? An outward expression of an inward faith. We believe, right, that, that when you have saving faith, when you have submitted to the lordship and kingship of Christ, you are made a new creature, and in obedience to God's word, you get baptized, to show the world and the, the unbelieving community that you are made new, not by your works, but by his work. So the illustration we see in the Bible is that new life begins when you die to yourself. How? It's like when someone is dipped or dunked or body slammed, whichever one you prefer. Here we practice a couple of things, dipping, diving, dunking, and body slam, right? Like, it's the person going into the waters, and the waters represents the grave, death. And when that person goes into the water, they stay there a little bit long, but they come back, and they are risen. They are a new person. Now, there's nothing special in the water. It's a symbol. That's what Paul is reminding us here. But, but when we die to ourselves, we're dying to the old person. New life also begins not only when we die with Christ, but when, we, when we're risen with Christ. This is what Paul says in verse 4. New life begins when we die with Christ, when we're risen with Christ, we don't stay in the grave. We come back out, a new person, a new creature. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I wanted to be. I'm made in the image of God with full value and worth, with a new purpose and a new mission to live for him and him alone. No matter what happens in the world, come war, come famine, come problems, obstacles, situations, adversity, whatever may come, I will stand firm in my faith to believe and trust him. Why? Because he's made me new. I have a new life. 
I'm reminded of this passage. I remember it when I was a kid because in my church, they would put it up on the screen all the time every Easter. It's Luke 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll tell you what it is. The tomb is empty. Disciples are scattered. The women have prepared spices for the body. They go and run to the tomb and they find the tomb empty. No one's there. Just the cloths. Where is he at? An angel stands by the tomb and tells the lady, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's like she's saying, you don't go looking for people who are alive at the cemetery. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Like, think about that. All of Christianity, everything that we believe in, hinges on one fact. It's that Jesus comes out of that tomb. If he does not come out of the tomb, what the Old Testament says is a lie. What the New Testament says about him is a lie. This is all a lie. It's a sham. But the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of God's power is that he is alive. That we have this word that tells us he's alive. We have 2,000 years of history that tells us he's alive. There's no history book that you will find that says Joseph Smith rose from the dead. You will find no history book that would say Jim Jones rose from the dead. There are no history books that would tell you that Confucius rose from the dead. Mohammed did not rise from the dead. Jim Jones did not rise from the dead. David Koresh did not rise from the dead. The Buddha did not rise from the dead, but there is one person that rose from the dead. The Bible says his name is Jesus. Think about that. There is no power, no plan that could have prevented him from coming out of that grave. The Pharisees' plan could not impede him from coming out. Pilate's judgment could not impede him from coming out. Satan's power could not overcome him. The demons could not overtake him. Sin had no grip on him, and death had no power and victory over him. That is the power of the resurrection, that death, sin, and Satan, and the world is defeated because of the resurrection. And you have that power. You can have that power. You can have that new life. You want that new life? You gotta die to yourself. You gotta be willing to give up the problems, the drama, your own goodness, your successes, your own selfish ambitions, and you gotta leave them at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm gonna follow you no matter what it takes, whether my family, my friends, or my coworkers are coming. I'm gonna pursue you. That's the power of the resurrection. We die to ourselves. We rise in new life out of those waters. And then the next thing that Paul tells us in this passage, in verse five, is that new life begins when we live with Christ. This is the future promise that you and I have. 
Like when I, when I look at this world, there, there is a low hum that I have, this anxiety that lives in me in the pit of my stomach of saying, how does this world get better? And let me tell you something, we've tried for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, civilization has tried to do its best in its human efforts have not succeeded in creating a utopia that we all desire. Look at this world. Surely you can't tell me like this is, this is the best life we're living. There's something better. There's hope. There's joy. See, the world offers happiness. God offers joy. The world offers fake love. God offers true love. The world will offer you temporary pleasures. God offers you everlasting life to live with him, not only now, but in the future. Because the battle has won, because sin and death is defeated, you and I have a promise of a better future with him. But you can't say that if you haven't decided to say, I want to live this new life. Oftentimes, what keeps us from coming to God, and this is true of all of us, this was true of me, oftentimes what keeps us from coming to God is our good things. Somehow, some way, we want to bring our good efforts, our good works, we hold them tightly like they were luggages and say, God, all right, I'm ready to follow you. It's like the young rich ruler, right? He wants to follow Jesus. He says, Jesus, I followed the law. I've done everything I could. Oh yeah? Give up everything you have and come follow me. He says, I can't. Why not? I can't let it go. That's the same for us. Oftentimes, we want to hold on to our good things, our good works, our accomplishments, our successes. And those things are not bad in of themselves. But those things are bad when they become more important than God in faith. But God offers new life. New life now to walk in the newness of life. New life later. A writer once wrote about this passage and said, you cannot enjoy the benefits of God's death unless we partake in the power of his life. That means that we have to be willing to accept Jesus for who he is and what he said he has done. And maybe you're new this morning and that's your story that, that you have not chosen new life. You haven't submitted to God's lordship and kingship and, and you have rebelled against God. Or maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're in this room watching online and you've been following Jesus for a really long time but, but you've lost your way. You, you've lost your way with Jesus. You've you put other things more important than Jesus. You put a relationship and success more important to Jesus. The Lord is calling you back. He's telling you come home. 
Right? The true mark of a Christian, I've said this before, the true mark of a Christian, a real Christian, is not a person who gets it right every single time. It's not the person who's flawless and perfect before people. The true mark of a Christian, the true true identity marker of a Christian is the person, when they get it wrong, when they sin, when they fall short, they run back to Jesus. Why? Because he's given them new life. A life they live with him now and in the future. Is that you this morning? Do you want that new life? Or are you just content with the life you have now? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for everyone in this room. As the band comes up, I want to pray that you would be reminded of this good life that God offers you. If you don't have it, And I want to remind you that that God offers new life right now. It's not a coincidence that you're here. Like you thought you were coming to an Easter service because it's Easter. No, you came to meet your creator through his word. And he says, come. He says, come. What are you waiting for? Like surely you must be tired and overwhelmed with life's problems. Come. With the rest of us, this is just a hospital, not a museum. We're all patients, and we have a good doctor that says, I'm going to give you new life, new life now, and one day new life with him. Let's pray. Why don't you reflect for a moment as we close our eyes? Why don't you talk to him? Share your grievances with him, your anger, your frustration, your pain, your hurt. Tell him you want new life. Tell him you want to live for him and only him. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray. I pray in the only power in which I can pray, and that is the name of Jesus. God, would you remind us of the new life that you've given us, that you extend to us, And for those who don't have that new life, God, would you show up in their hearts and their minds? Would you wreck their lives? Would you show them how good and gracious you are? How loving and kind you are? And for those who need to be reminded of this new life that we were given to before, God, would you you remind us of the time that we were baptized? The time where we, we, declared to an unbelieving world, we're going to follow you. God, would you help us this morning? Help us right now. In the name of Jesus and the people of God say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.